At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Good Wednesday to everyone. Happy NBA record-setting day after Wednesday. (laughs) Happy terrible phrasing Wednesday. (laughs) But the Detroit Pistons now stand alone, having lost 27 consecutive games. Some say that they can tie the record of 28, but that's across multiple seasons. You know, Joe DiMaggio's 56-game hitting streak, if it happened across multiple seasons, is not a 56-game hitting streak. So it's in one season with the same team. That's the record. The Pistons have set it. And now we see how far, in fact, they can go. They play the Celtics. Don't see him winning that one on Thursday. And I guess we'll, Boston, we'll say. I will yeah. say Boston does lose some weird games every so often, but this would be different than most of those. Yeah. Now, the Pistons actually are playing better. And we both watched that game yes. last night. So I, I guess, I mean, this was the talk of the NBA. The crowd was actually like really into it in Detroit until it turned to sell the team after they were down five uh, with 28 seconds left. But what were just your observations uh, from the game before we talk a little bit about how the Pistons ended up here and what their chances are for actually breaking this streak someday. It was it was a fun one to, to to track and to watch because it started out strong for Detroit and something you and I have noted over the course of this series, though it's it's tempered a little bit in the last few games, is that most of these weren't close. And this one, Detroit went up about 10 early. Crowd was really into it. There were some some nice plays um, in the early going. Duran had a or not. Yeah, Duran had some good ones, but also uh, Ivy had a nice finish. And for me, the definitive stretch in the early part of the game was in the second quarter where Detroit built up this lead. And then primarily with a backup unit, the Nets not only came back, but also took took a lead. And Dorian Finney-Smith had some big shots. Dorian Finney-Smith and Royce O'Neal each took threes that were like two steps behind the three-point line, which was stunning. They're above the break and all that type of stuff. And my favorite stretch during that was uh, Nick Claxton, who only played 26 minutes. I thought he outplayed Sharp. Don't need to talk too much about that. He blocked a shot and then just flew down the court and caught an alley-oop. And I, one of my favorite sequences, whenever a big can do that, can like make the play, because a block has to be pretty much around the basket for this to work, and then just beats everyone down the floor. Claxton did really well there. And then that set the table. It's like, okay, well, something's going to need to go really right for Pitt, for Detroit to get back into this. And something did in that third quarter, and that was Cade Cunningham. Yeah, Cade, he had a 40-point game earlier this year as well. And this one was notable because of his incredible efficiency. 15 of 21 and 3 of 4 from downtown, 8 of 10 from the foul line. That's been another criticism is that he doesn't get to the foul line, although he missed two huge ones in the last 
last couple of minutes, he and Isaiah Stewart combined to go one for four as they ended up falling out of contact at the end. Uh, but Cage shot chart, anything that you'd take away from that? He was able to get to his mid-ranger reasonably well in that third quarter, ended up in the full game four of five. But the balance there, six attempts in the restricted area, six attempts from floater range, five from mid-range, and then four above the break threes. And when you add in the free throws, that does mean there's more towards the paint. And Cunningham has the physical potential, not always the greatest shooter, but has the physical potential to be a three-level scorer. And I thought he was closer to that in this game than most Pistons outings I've watched over the last three years. Yeah, what stood out to me was his strength getting to his spots. Now, of course, the big problem has been that he creates these shots and they don't go in necessarily. Both sides in this game were really focused on playing the pick and roll two on two. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, the Pistons only had 20 assists on 40 field goals. Neither team got up a ton of threes. Nets 22, although they hit some huge ones late. Pistons 25. So it really, and neither of these teams has, you know, like unbelievably threatening ball handlers. Pistons did a lot of switching as well. They had some errors on that late but overall i thought their defense was reasonably respectable in this game so Cade was able to take advantage of that though going against dorian finney smith is notable that he was kind of the main matchup on Cade rather than Mikhail Bridges. I thought when Cade was matched up against Bridges, he was able to use his power against him. There was one time coming downhill in transition where he went right through Bridges, uh, knocked him backwards, and then the big man came over. I think it was sharp to foul him. Uh, the three ball, he wasn't getting a ton of them up, you know, but that was, he did make them in this one. And yeah, getting to the foul line was big. Also, he had 37 of his 41 in the second half, was plus five for the game. I think he he only played 37 minutes, interestingly enough, because uh, he's been over 40 in some of these other games. Uh, I was like, oh, he played. Well, he only played 37, but he played the entire second half. Yeah, which is fascinating. I mean, that he, I mean, I guess things, it's interesting that he sat for 11 minutes in the first half. Uh, maybe he just wasn't playing that well. And but He, he wasn't you know. playing as well, but I mean, he's still their best player. Damning with faint praise. But yeah, he was good in this game. Now, was he he wasn't doing enough to get the Nets out of the defense that they were playing necessarily. And he only had five assists. But yeah, really efficient. I thought if anything, they didn't go to him enough. There was a stretch where Jaden Ivey, who was three of 12 and only O of two from three, he was taking a bunch of pull-ups off the mid uh, off the pick and roll from mid-range, which just weren't really great shots as the Nets went on a 13-0 run in the fourth quarter uh, to re- take control after the business actually led by five about midway through that fourth what other observations did you have? It, I mean, we saw it in both the first and the second half to an extent. I thought that the Pistons starters did a good job. You know, starters versus starters, Pistons were the superior team. But when it got into some of those mixed lineups, when it got into the bench heavy lineups and the Nets having a starting point guard and a backup point guard who both previously played for the Pistons and Spencer Dinwiddie and Dennis Smith Jr. was a little bit amusing to me. People forget sometimes that Dennis Smith Jr. was in the Derrick Rose trade going I, the other I, way. I just forgot. <laughs> and so, again, yeah, I, I, well, what happened is I'm watching the game of the second quarter and I'm like, didn't Dennis Smith play on the Pistons? And then I didn't check it until after the game, but it bothered me so much that I'm like, I bet he did. And then I looked it up and he did. And there were also some good stretches for Cam Johnson. He had uh, a sequence 
sequence, I think it was the end of the third, beginning of the fourth, might have been, I might have the quarter splits wrong, where he hit a pull up to end one quarter and then made a shot to start the next one. And it's like, that's, that's kind of a good, a good set of balance for him. And for the Pistons, I mean, their their three pointers went at a reasonable rate. You know, they're not a great shooting team, thirty six percent. And Brooklyn, you know, the Pistons taking more threes than Brooklyn, twenty five to twenty two. That was notable, but like the free throw line and a few other things were hard for them. But like. This was a significantly more respectable Pistons outing than the average one. And that, that's good. You want to be trending in this direction, even within the loss, loss, loss stretch. I'll just say that uh, yeah, four more times that. and you'll get there. <laughs> so one thing that stuck out to me is just the Pistons, their perimeter defense setup. So, Oh, yeah, I was going to bring that up. Thank you. Yeah, for go, go for it then. Well, so there was a there was a point in, I think it was the third quarter, where Mikhail Bridges is scoring on Bogdan Bogdanovich a bunch of times in a row, or at least getting to a good position. I'm like, well, why is Bogdan Bogdanovich guarding Mikhail Bridges? And then I started really gaming it out. And so in their starting lineup, the Pistons have Bogdanovich, Stewart, Duran, and then Cunningham and Ivy. And there may be other ways to configure it, but you don't really want you have two you have two bigs so you don't want them on like a cam thomas or on mikhail or, or some of these other guys and they're just aren't that many other options and so could you have maybe done kate cunningham on bridges and done bogdanovich on somebody who's a little bit more limited yeah but that's that that's why bogdanovich makes the most sense at a four not at the five or, or at the three i mean yeah so oh yeah uh, sorry at the three uh, yeah and that's i mean Jaden ivy's not going to guard mikhail bridges bogdanovich tried to guard mikhail bridges uh, he got beat up for a, a couple of drives as the nets are making that 13-0 run and so yeah it was really isaiah stewart down the stretch cunningham mm-hmm. they don't want to put him on because he's their primary playmaker you know maybe he could do it at the end of the game i thought cade had some off-ball defensive lapses in the fourth that were not great like he helped off the strong side corner helping without helping as you like to say to give up a, a finney smith three that was his matchup and then was maybe a little slow closing out on a nice pass by cam johnson to finney smith again for the three that put him up five with 38 seconds to go but you know kate cunningham's defense is not the main problem with the team they're trying to do a lot of switching i thought bogdanovich he also gave up a cam johnson three by failing to switch out on a pretty garden for he pinned down i don't know what he was looking at that he just didn't switch it easily like because that's the pistons scheme and i thought stewart and Duran, like it's not like they were getting blown by at the point of attack necessarily now stewart when he plays center like they, they went to that a little bit in the fourth to, to take Duran out but they did close with Duran and stewart together but th- those guys actually i thought were okay you know Duran made a few mistakes in conventional pick and roll defense which is kind of why they went back to the switching and part of the idea of the two bigs actually is you switch more with the two bigs because you have the the other one in theory be behind the play uh but i thought the pistons defense was actually fine like they were just kind of forcing a lot of pick and rolls i mean there were mistakes here and there but generally like the nets weren't getting like unbelievable shots in every possession or anything like that part of the problem though is the pistons just are young and they foul a ton and they foul a ton and they don't force any turnovers which yeah, is a problem and, and they should have lost this game by more because brooklyn was only 63 percent on their 43 free throw attempts so uh, bridges and characteristically was nine of 15 from the following so the pistons were fouling a lot and the nets were doing a good job of trying to get the switch into the matchup they wanted of either ivy or bogdanovich on whoever was going to be their main ball handler in the pick and roll so they're the nets pick and roll game they don't have amazing pick and roll ball handlers but they were getting the matchups they wanted they scored pretty well in that fourth quarter anything that stuck out for you like rotation wise for the pistons 
at first I'm like, oh, no Killian Hayes. And then I remembered that he's sick. So he didn't play for that reason. And Asar Thompson, who started earlier in the year and is and is their best perimeter defender, the spacing issues, especially if you're going to play Stewart and Duran together, like that, that becomes difficult. He only played nine minutes and, you know, was was defensively productive when he was out there, but, you know, only took two two pointers and missed both of them. And Knox had one nice drive and finish. And I was a little bit surprised it was actually him, um, but the rest of it. And then, you know, James Wiseman is not, to me, not an NBA an NBA rotation player right now. And yeah, one of my played him over Bagley. I haven't heard anything about yeah. Bagley being hurt. Uh, I, I hadn't either. And like, there were a few plays where he just like was in the wrong spot. There was one that was uh, uh, trending on NBA Reddit last night, where it's like he he basically cut off his own teammate. It was Jay, it was Jaden Ivey's drive. Like he he moved into position and brought his defender. It it was kind of worse than a Caspi cut. Um, and so that's not great. And the that kind of dovetails into the duality and the challenge for whether it's Monty Williams or Trey Weaver, we don't know exactly who of like James Wiseman, if their goal is to like win, not win basketball games, plural, but win basketball games singular is not somebody who I think should be out there when I've, when I've watched or you look at the, the basic stats, but yeah. Or, or and, even and, just playing, play Stewart as the backup center, right? I mean, sure. like J- James Wiseman might be the worst player in the NBA when you consider how important a center is defensively and just how much he kills you. And he didn't do anything on offense. He's negative 12 and 12 minutes. Uh, incidentally, how much did it hurt you that Alec Burks was a team worst negative 25 and 26 minutes? Quite a bit, including that he missed a big three that could have made it close closer towards the end rather than that yeah but this this year has been the formal extinction of the alec burks magic in terms of overall and offensive rating as of the last time i looked at it and as you as listeners know i look at that more frequently than i should so Uh, well by the way quickly people were going crazy about burks taking a three with 37 seconds left they drew up the play for him as the inbounder uh down five and i had no problems with that shot whatsoever like he it was it was a tough three but you need to get a three there you have to get the two for one so you don't have to foul and you can i mean down five with 37 seconds left you're a massive underdog but you got to get that shot up and it's got to be a three and you might say yeah they should have drawn it up for Cade. Cade's not really you know like a great on the move three-point shooter so and they knew that the defense would be very much focused uh on Cade so like Burke's got an okay look like I, I thought that was actually like solid coaching to drop a play for a three after calling a timeout to get the two for one down two possessions so I had no problem with that uh yeah so what are these guys gonna actually get a win I'm not sure uh I, I had said I think we did this in a Watfo like I thought they were gonna win one before the end of the year I am naturally less confident in that in part because they've had all these chances and now they only have two um at Boston and then they host Toronto on Saturday which maybe, maybe. I mean, I wouldn't. But. I don't know if I would favor them in that game, but like they—they've actually the last four games they've been respectable. Admittedly, against a Utah team that didn't have anybody, like that was not a respectable loss, and it wasn't close down the end. But these two games against the Nets and the one at, at the Hawks, they were respectable. Cage starting to play better. Like they didn't look like a team that has no hope of winning a game soon, at least in this one. But they have no hope of being the Celtics. But at home against the Raptors, you know, I mean, I'm not going to say they're favored in that game, but you know, I'd give them a 35 percent chance of winning that game and then they go on a big west coast trip houston utah 
Golden State, Denver, home for Sacramento, and then home for San Antonio on the second night of a back-to-back January they should, 10th. They should, switch, they should switch that game to ESPN, not the Friday against the Rockets after it. Well, how much does it suck that the Spurs won that one game against the Lakers, that they're not both on this crazy <laughs> streak and that they're not going to play each other to see who gets to break the streak? That would be, like, other than the in-season tournament stuff, that would be, like, one of my most anticipated. And you and I would have battled to have that as a league pass broadcast if we if we had been <laughs> if, if that had happened like we would have used everything we have with the nba to try to broadcast that game uh, sadly that's not much I, i'm afraid yes uh so if how, you had did, to get yeah. if you had to guess when do you think it happened i mean the most likely i would say is against the raptors because i think that, you know there's still a chance that they could win one before that spurs game sure but yeah, yeah because this, we're not saying Coast, we're not saying which game are they the most likely to win it's which game is most likely to be the first win to break the streak yeah yeah but having five of their next six on the road is not you know, they could possibly win at utah on january 3rd mm-hmm. Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015. And I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom. And there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one-size-fits-all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then-girlfriend, now-wife, and I ordered that mattress. We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And uh, Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Everybody sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences, hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix sleep quiz, find your perfect mattress in under two minutes. And it's shipped straight to your door, free of charge. It's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home. You're like, well, how should I order this if I can't sleep? I'm like, yeah, you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do I take my shoes off? Do I leave my shoes on? But then my feet kind of hang off the bed because I don't want to put my shoes on the bed. And is it weird that I'm laying here for more than 30 seconds? You can't tell anything under those circumstances. You might as well just order it, get it sent to your house. Get that 100-night trial. They're 10 to 15-year warranty, depending on the model. And there's never been a better time to try a Helix Sleep mattress because they are offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace. Easy to slash capspace. We talk about all the time here on the program. That's helixsleep.com slash capspace. This is their best offer yet. I can attest to that since I've been working with them for nine years. And it won't last long with Helix. Better sleep starts now. Don't forget that slash capspace URL to let them know that you came from us man i just love american giant just an amazing clothing company i was reminded again of how much i love it when i drove from california to montana over the all-star break and you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas you're like well i don't want to wear like my jacket in the car but then i get out to fill gas I'm going to be freezing, but the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice 
heavy material that'll keep you warm. It's not too hot as well. So I was able to wear it in the car, not be too hot, step out of the car and still be warm enough when I was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that I didn't feel like I needed my jacket, even when it was cold outside. These things are amazingly durable. I proposed to my wife wearing an American Giant hoodie in the Grand Canyon almost seven years ago. I still own that same hoodie. I still wear it constantly. And American Giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout you remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us but do you want to talk a little bit about how we got here with the I pistons do. detroit i mean one of the big disappointments for me i mean monty williams i mean we, we, we could talk about how this team was built plenty but I, I think one of the places that i want to go is that monty williams had this theory of of the case and he has a long contract and you could prioritize whatever you want and player development there are a lot of different priorities and in the early going he was focused on defense and so that was playing killian hayes that was a lot of us thompson and there were obviously going to be offensive consequences for that because those are limited offensive players they didn't have a lot they could kind of make up for those gaps but detroit they're 27th in defense. They are second to last in forcing turnovers. They are last, and I think they're last by a fair amount in terms of fouling. And so, like, one of my big frustrations with Detroit is that if if this is what like if that's what you're going to focus on like okay and, and they do they have had some negative opponent shooting luck but not a ton not like you know like everybody shooting 45 percent from three against them or anything like that and so like the idea that they're okay you're going to go defense first but you're still 27th the defense is is one place to start yeah that is kind of surprising and they started that way playing asar and like trying to build the defensive culture that didn't really work and if they're not going to play asar then as we noted the defensive matchups on the perimeter are a little bit awkward and Jalen Duran isn't necessarily the type of guy at you know I think he might is he still 19 if anything he like just turned 20 he's not the type of guy who's gonna clean up a, a bunch of messes either and then in the offensive end just not having anyone like particularly reliable I mean you would have thought that Boyan coming back at Albany looked like the same guy pretty much uh, on the offensive end but he, he slowed down quite a bit defensively and I mean as we zoom out a little bit I talked about this some with John today too that the rebuild and James Edwards wrote a great piece going all the way back to 2008 on how we ended Oof. up here but you know to go from Joe Dumars to Stan Van Gundy to Ed Stefanski to Troy Weaver and Arden Tellum prominently involved there too I wish I wish that's the one thing I wish I could have been talked about a little bit more is just kind of the overall dysfunction in the front office where two guys wanted a different coaching candidate Arden Tellum and Troy Weaver they had they had to compromise on a third guy and then Tom Gores came in and splashed the checkbook to get a fourth guy involved and going back to some of the ridiculous stuff like the Servetus thing and just you know a number of just kind of 
puzzling moves that make you think like, man, this is just not a well-run organization. Tom Gores gave it an interview to some of the beat reporters. He did. Dan wrote about this if you want to hear a little bit more. But he kind of took responsibility, but he also said like Monty and Troy are going to be here. He was asked whose fault this is. He said Monty's too new. Like it's on me and Troy, basically. Uh, I do think it's probably time to move on from Weaver. Uh, maybe even that you could hire someone over the top of him and you just continue to use him as a as a scout. I mean, not a scout, but, you know, kind of assistant GM number two sort of guy. So, and Tom Gore, certainly, like, there's just been a lot of yo-yoing. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm on Monty. I'm even talking to him about rotations. Like, I, I don't know if that's going to be the solution, right? Like, like that, that's a bad sign. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like getting the, the owner saying, I'm going to be more active in basketball decisions, unless your owner, I mean, honestly, even if the, the, the greatest player who's ever been an owner, the greatest player, boy, I wouldn't trust him to do that. So like Tom Gore is saying, I'm going to get more involved in rotations like that. That is a clear indication that you are the problem. Like that's what, you know, you look back and you're like, oh, there it is. Well, well, he, I think he's sort of vacillated between uninvolvement, let the basketball people make the decision with like the hiring of Stan Van Gundy. And then he will get involved again. But they had this weird structure with Ed Stefanski as like temporary caretaker when they moved on from Stan Van Gundy. And, you know, no one knew like that was supposed to be temporary, but that Ed Stefanski's like there for two years and then they bring in Troy Weaver but like what is Arn Tellum's role like he's on the business side are they some like amazing business powerhouse like he's a former NBA agent you think he's not there because he has he's like amazing at like drumming up sponsorships in the community or something so he just like Gores to me deserves a lot of the blame because he's never really put a good structure in place whether it's like coaches GM or this kind of weird hybrid arrangement where no one really knows who's in charge and then like is it Arn Tellum is it Troy Weaver like nobody actually gets to make the decision so then they have to compromise and Gorza rules them on, on the coach and so it, and that leads to just a lack of overall vision and direction and there's this feel, oh Troy Weaver came in they're gonna preserve flexibility but they still have been like oh we're still kind of trying to win you know we're gonna make the we're gonna sign Jeremy Grant and that, that worked out okay they got a pick for him but they should have traded him earlier and gotten more than they did and the Boyan move was a good move they rehabilitated him so fucking trade his ass before he, he turns into a pumpkin again which he has now and same thing with Burks like if they had just like some some of the trees moves are pretty good but just the forest never actually like comes into focus and then there were kind of other bizarre things like Troy Weaver giving up basically all of their second round picks in various moves that weren't really high utility either like yeah, didn't or, he give up like the Luke Kennard trade like that there was a series of seconds involved in that and like yeah well they got some Bay he was like a good player but then sure. you know they, they ended up trading him for I mean trading him for James Wiseman like Sadiq Bay could absolutely if their goal was to try to be playing quote unquote meaningful basketball this year it's like oh well he wants too big of a contract well all right that's like a year and a half out like let's just see and, what happens and also here. like he deserves it unlike a certain other person who you acquired in for Sadiq yeah. Bay well I don't even know if he does deserve it, right like Sadiq Bay or, or or he you know, could deserve it like he could yeah. play and, and restricted free agency like that's the nature of restricted free agency is you see where things go like you, you get the benefit and walking away a year from then would have been significantly better for the Pistons than having James Wiseman for the last year and a half yeah particularly I mean that's just like taking on Wiseman's contract as well I mean that is just like the fact that they didn't get like paid extra to take that on for a guy who just wasn't playing at all is making over 10 million this year to be terrible but yeah that that's not great either it was also and, superfluous and created all these other rotational problems like it would probably would have been cleaner for Isaiah Stewart to play backup five like 
run Duran Stewart and someone else if Wiseman wasn't thrown into that mix. I mean, even Bagley. I mean, Bagley's played well offensively when he's been on the floor, and his defense has vacillated depending on the season. Yeah, but but, it, but another signing that really like like the whole idea of like a second draft guy is like okay, you can get him as a cheap contributor. Like you don't then overpay that player, right? Like they're they're paying twenty three million dollars to the combination of Wiseman and Bagley right now. And you know, I don't like the Monte Morris move. He got hurt. Like I, I was on board with that. Like I thought maybe Joe Harris could help them. I was totally wrong about that. Uh, he's just like not even playing. It looks like he's about done. Uh, and you also just go back to the fact that they started this rebuild with a gun to their head. They threw good money after bad, traded one of their few disposable assets for Blake Griffin, and then ended up uh, with him. You know, he was a ticking time bomb. He gave him one good year to like have him to forty-one and forty-one and zero playoff wins. Like the the worst sweep in NBA history against the Bucks in 2019, and then they had a ton of dead money on their books and you know, no way to trade guys and rebuild. Like they Andre Drummond had completely lost his value, Reggie Jackson had completely lost his value. By the time they, it was just so obvious that they had to move on after the 2020 season. So well, and, yeah. and I think you, you're you're hitting a point that I think is extremely valuable, which is that this presumably comes from the top. The Detroit Pistons have very rarely in the moment treated themselves like a rebuilding team. And the elements like not trading Bogdanovich when his value is at its peak, not trading Alec Burks when his value is at its peak, that is the indication of, oh, well, we're going to get better. We're not, this isn't a process that's going to take time. And for years, this was an, a refrain with the Knicks of, oh, the Knicks, like they're hurt so much by their refusal to rebuild. And, and But I think you actually see that mentality. First of all, the Knicks have been better. They got Jalen Brunson and everything else with the Pistons, because if if this team approached their own quality, both in the present and in the near future, more objectively, they could have gotten some of these smaller things right. And that would have made more opportunity to get some some more big things. So that's one part of it. And I'll say the other in a second. Yeah, it's, there are so many. And, I, and John and I talked about this pretty extensively. Actually, we just recorded it a couple hours ago. So I, I don't really have a ton to add. So there, but so I'll, I'll do one more that you pro- that I'm sure John brought up or, or you yeah. did with him, which is they've had some high draft picks. And yet Mark Stein talked about um, in his newsletter, I think that was yesterday about how, yeah, it sucks that Detroit didn't get a higher pick in in 23 and they maybe could have gotten one Banyama. But throughout this kind of process, you know, they they had a high lottery pick and they got Cade. And whether we we don't know yet whether that's the Cade is disappointed or circumstances. But like Jaden Ivey, Killian Hayes haven't really been the players that they hoped. We'll see what this are. He's too early in this to, to really fit within the within the framework. And then the rehab projects that they've done, some of like some of them have worked out well, some of them have not. And like they so. I mean, I'm not going to go pick by pick and say you took Jaden Ivey, you should have taken this player. But like just in general, the expected value, even acknowledging that young guys are generally negative players and work through it. It's like that the idea that other than Cade Cunningham, we don't know who the foundational pieces of the next Pistons team are. That is a pretty big problem overall. Ready for news? Yes. And the place I want to start, in part because the story is so weird, is in Denver, where Aaron Gordon, I, I've heard dog bite thrown around, but also just incident with dog. He sustained injuries to his face and his shooting hand that required 21 stitches. And Gordon is without a timetable. Hopefully it's minor. Hopefully this is not something that that lingers for the Nuggets, but they're going to miss him. Yeah, they are. And as you think about 
what a timeline might be. I mean, we don't know how bad it is. Supposedly he's okay. This seems like something like if he needed 21 stitches and both his face and shooting hand, you know, and also just like that's a pretty traumatic incident to, to go through. I mean, that's like, you know, you certainly are in a moment where you're probably at least, you know, fearing for your life as you're going through that, getting like multiple bites from a dog who knows what led to that exactly. But, you know, this feels like something that's probably going to be last a month, you would think. I mean, if you need that many stitches from, and hopefully there's no issue with like infection, that could be a big issue when there's an animal bite as well. And it's also just kind of something that can linger like that sort of, you know, slashing trauma to where you just have a lot of scar tissue built up and we just don't know exactly, you know, what area is impacted for him. But hopefully, you know, it's nothing on like his hand or anything like that where you kind of need like fine, fine motor control. But yeah, this feels like it's something that's going to last for a while. For Denver, this will be a chance for Peyton Watson to step into the starting lineup. I think that will be good experience for him and he can get a better kind of understanding of playing that supporting role, playing with Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray, which he hasn't done much, seeing what that's like. And I think this could be useful for Denver. But as you look at them potentially trying to chase the number one seed, this is absolutely a a blow. But uh, And they are, they have the best home court advantage in the league with the altitude. And they are a different team at home. They obviously were quite effective on the road in last year's playoffs uh, as well. But if you look ahead to both getting out of the West and then also potentially not having home court advantage in the finals against Philly, Milwaukee, or Boston, that is, this is a blow for that for sure. It is. And duration will play a factor in that. And I'm, it, it definitely will be a more challenging road from that perspective. And, and Denver, they can win anywhere, but it's easier to win when you're at home. I think the place I want to go after this is Charlotte, in part because of the volume. I've been frustrated also because I've been frustrated with some of the injury reporting out of Charlotte. This is not a new thing for them, but... Mark Williams has missed nine straight and has been listed as doubtful for each one with a lower back contusion. If you're missing nine games with the same injury, you're probably not doubtful each time and getting late yeah, scratched. In theory, that's supposed to be you have some chance of playing each game. Now, we've seen teams upgrade guys to doubtful and then questionable and then probable as they're returning from an injury, but this is not that at all. It isn't that. And then they've been doing another weird dance with LaMelo Ball, who we knew had a bad right ankle sprain, and they're like, oh, they're going to update us in a week. And then, no, he's missed a month and he's still not taking contact. So we don't, we never got a severity. We never got an actual like diagnosis here. Instead, it's like, oh, well, we'll take a look at where things are. And now he's been out a month. Yeah, I think there was an understanding it was going to be a relatively long-term absence. Law Murray said that he, uh, and actually posted a video of him doing some light on-court shooting and movement. So maybe he's getting close to the point at which he could take some contact. But of course, they're going to be very cautious. At least Charlotte has gotten Cody Martin back finally from uh, all these knee issues his loss has been a big part of their struggles that hasn't been talked about enough over the last year and a half or so but just in time to get Cody Martin back Gordon Hayward had to leave Tuesday's game against the Clippers in which they were quite competitive uh, with a left calf strain and that of course will if you suffer a muscle injury that means you have to leave the game that's going to be at least a week and probably two and and for someone that they may be trying to trade that's a a little bit of a blow obviously you would have to take on some bad money coming back to get anything for Hayward Uh, 
Brandon Miller just continues to deal with these ankle sprains. He didn't play against the Clippers, though he was questionable. Seems like that, again, will be sort of a short-term thing for him. And then for the Clippers themselves... Kawhi was ruled out against the Hornets that's given how many people were out for Charlotte that may have just been a hey he's close we don't need him tonight and they barely won that game uh he's been considered day-to-day now for what will end up being over a week uh we'll see whether with that left hip contusion that he was able to actually finish the game after he got that against Dallas uh whether he's able to play in their next one but they also have I think a pretty light week only two games and they're staying at home the whole time so it probably just makes sense to give them more time and ugly as it was they did beat the hornets nikola vucevic has a left adductor strain and he is not going to play for seven to ten days and oh, he was initially yeah. yeah, he was ahead. initially questionable on tuesday and then was ruled out and then is now out for more than a week well and this was again the nba needs to get better at this because you know especially if you're betting number one but this is also playing fast and loose to try to mess with uh, the opposition the hawks they end up winning the game with andre drummond having 24 points and 25 rebounds and quite frankly andre drummond might be better than nikola vucevic he doesn't give as much spacing but his passing is probably pretty close and he's definitely a better defender than Vucevic is better offensive rebounder at this point in time but the idea that Nikola Vucevic was questionable 50% chance of playing but now he's expected to miss a couple of weeks come on you knew that he wasn't going to be playing and you just listed him as questionable the first game he was going to miss to try to get an advantage to disrupt the Hawks preparation no arguments here further on the Bulls Zach Levine is doing some very very light cutting when he's running and the Bulls are are playing much better in his absence but Levine being healthy enough that a team might consider trading for him could be useful though I believe that was Woj had the market is still still barren is is the terminology that Woj used on I believe that was on threads today I I, I can't believe that hasn't improved (laughs) no yeah, I mean, all of, a, all of a sudden now his absence, the team is team is doing significantly better. Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well. I felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns. You can customize things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets. And you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk about all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 
21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Another resolution of a mystery that's been kind of a thread over the last few weeks. We wondered about the Mark Cuban element of the signing of the of the transition to the Adelson family. And because he is giving up majority control and there was some phraseology on like he's going to you know, he's going to be able to run the team forevermore or for whatever the stewards of the franchise and the league approved the sale. So that part of it is done. Um, but the sale agreement does not include any specific language about Mark Cuban's role. So that means anything that happens, should it be in there at all, is purely verbal. And so that means the new owners have the ability to do whatever they want, whenever they want contractually. Great reporting here by Mark Stein to establish that there is nothing in the sale agreement. Now, could there be some other written agreement? Maybe. But apparently, Mark Cuban is no different now than like a president of basketball operations or a general manager. And he maintains that as or I, I should say at the whim of the Sands Corporation and the Adelson Dumont families. And also, even if you say he he's kind of more like a president of basketball operations GM, like so he doesn't have if they want to like spend extra money into the tax, which where they are right now, that's going to be big to try to retain Luka Doncic. It's, does he have the ability to decide that? I am guessing probably not. And so, Danny, I, I, I know this isn't an official Watfo day, but I do want to throw one out here. Okay. What are the odds that Mark Cuban still runs basketball operations for the Dallas Mavericks on August 1st? So after the offseason, 2026. 2026. So okay. I, so as that's... you think about it, I'll give you some. I thought about 2025. I think that's a little bit too far away. That's also like that that the Luka Doncic situation will have come to a head by that point and been resolved either with him extending or with him being moved almost certainly by that point. I think Cuban, he's 65 now, so he'll be, you know, probably 67, 68. I don't know exactly when his birthday is then. The chances then that Mark Cuban, I mean, we could do you think it's more interesting to make it August 1st, 2025? No, I think 26 is a is a good threat threshold for yeah. it. As I talk through it, it seems like almost too obvious that he won't be running it by 2026. Maybe 25 is more interesting. Okay. We can switch if you want. Uh, Yeah. Let's make it August 1st, 2025. So that would mean he would do or or would they would make a change at or before there'd be two op, two, two, two op, postseasons, two trade deadlines, two, you know, first segment of the offseasons that he would be running there. It's certainly possible. I'm going to go one in three, 33%. Wow. So you're, you're predicting that there's a two-thirds chance that he will not be running it within basically uh, 20 months from now. Yes, it's yeah, I, it's too much. I, yeah. It's it's too much at stake, and there, like I could, there are so many ways you can see a power struggle like this going poorly. Well, and moreover, I was I was going to say forty five percent, but because I I probably would have said you know seventy percent if we went a year later. And like Mark Cuban, I don't know if he has like political ambitions or something. Maybe those have been overstated. But this seems like more really of a this is just a sale, and the idea that he's still running basketball operations. The fact that. And also, I would be concerned as other owners that it was only a $3.5 billion valuation and Mark Cuban didn't actually get anything in writing at that point. Now, there could be other stuff here, right? Like maybe Mark Cuban is going to get a piece 
of whatever the casino they're going to try to build right on, the complex arena or like there could be a lot of other shit here going on but i think largely this is you know mark cuban this seems like window dressing if there's nothing in writing if that's really true then i think this is just a slow playing of he's just not going to do it much longer anyway and i don't know even like they could even have an agreement that at some point that he's going to step down and they just don't want to have too much change and particularly if the Doncic era doesn't end well i think at that point there's no reason for mark cuban to be staying on so yeah i'll, I'll go with 45 percent that he is out by august 1st 2025 in terms of running basketball operations you went with 33 percent. for what it's worth if it was 26 i was going to go about 20 percent. yeah that he's still running it yeah yeah what else we got here questions about how long bruce brown is going to be out he's dealing with a bone bruise in his right knee he's already missed a couple of games and it's um carlisle has said in radio spots that it needs to get resolved which means it might not be immediate but of course the pacers pacers miss having having him around like one of the guys that's important to their rotation yeah john mentioned that he's hearing that bruce brown might actually be available on the trade market it seems like the pacers having struggled since the season tournament final are maybe going through a different sort of assessment of where they are right now and rick carlisle is trying to shake up the rotation they're starting jim smith now that'll be interesting though if bruce braun is available his contract structure with that second year team option but making a little over 20 million is a fascinating one for the Cavs. sam merrill has been a big star for them but right wrist soreness had him leave the game a couple games ago. He has missed two in a row, and he's now doubtful for Wednesday against uh, the Mavericks, and right wrist is pretty important. For a shooter, Donovan Mitchell has had a heck of an illness. He's missed a couple straight. Karis LeVert also missed it in their big victory over the Bulls without all these guys. Uh, as Max Craig Street Porter Jr., crazy. baby. Yeah, Craig Porter Jr., uh, he surely will be elevated to the main roster at some point soon. But Mitchell and Lavert are questionable for tonight uh, against the Mavs. A couple of different news notes for the Atlanta Hawks. DeAndre Hunter is undergoing a non-surgical procedure in his right knee. So he's going to be out at least what, two what weeks. What year is it? Oh, it's every year. That's right. It's, 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 it, 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 it does seem that I'm a flat way. circle, as you like to say. AJ Griffin is also missing time due to personal reasons. He's been out at two weeks and we don't know when it's when that's changing with him so it's a little bit bizarre for the Hawks even though he wasn't in the rotation when he was when he was available yeah and then Jalen Johnson did return uh but that was uh, not of enough use uh, against Chicago and you know they're still playing they're playing a little Trent Forrest they're playing a little Garrison Matthews they're playing a little West Matthews Seth Lundy sprained his ankle uh, early on he'd been in the rotation as well oh and and by the way I the Hawks are 12 and 18 now Yes, yes, they were a big subject of conversation for John and I as well as we tried to size up uh, the trade market and uh, where some moves might be happening. So Sadiq Bey has been starting uh, along with Jalen Johnson for the Hawks, but yeah, they're pretty light on backup wings. Like Wes Matthews still could be okay there, but they rode the starters pretty hard uh, in that. And plus Bogdanovich, obviously, like that top six and Okongu. So they still have like seven quality players. Like they're not in terrible position, but they're a little light on wing defense, which they were even before the return of Johnson. Speaking of perimeter defense, Gary Payton II practiced 
recently, and the Warriors didn't scrimmage, but they did half-court live action. So he may be back soonish, but we don't know exactly how soon, and the Warriors have missed his on-ball defense in the rotation, particularly as Andrew Wiggins has been rounding into form overall. It's just like the Warriors don't have that many point-of-attack defenders, and so whenever somebody's out, it's a big deal. In Houston, this is one to keep an eye on, a right oblique strain for Dylan Brooks uh, forced him to leave Tuesday's loss to the Pacers. Uh, They really needed him, and uh, he's been so essential to what they've done defensively and is actually one of their better spot-up shooters on the wing. Tari Eason was able to return from that lower left leg soreness. Remember, he had that stress reaction early in the season. It seems like that they're trying to manage that. Uh, Reggie Bullock hasn't really figured. Maybe he'll get into it now with Brooks out and then just needing some shooting, although you'd think if they felt like he could play, he would have already been in the rotation. Maybe we'll see a little more. Amen Thompson as well, who he's been back for a couple of weeks, but really he just hasn't made an enormous impact yet. But we'll see on Brooks again. This is a muscle injury. Very easy to re-injure these because of your obliques. That just helps you like twist your torso, essentially. That's a pretty important movement and very easy to hurt that again. But this... I would guess would be kind of a couple weaker, at least for Brooks. Good news for the Memphis Grizzlies, who got Marcus Smart back from this sprained left foot, and Smart played 29 minutes in their overtime win over the New Orleans Pelicans. He did start, and um, he started, played 29. uh, So it was Ja, Bain, Smart, Jaron, Biombo was the starting five, and they won in overtime. They are now 4-0 since Ja Morant returned, including two wins at New Orleans. And, you know, some some strong opponents in this. And so that that's good news. And, and the data point that Marcus Smart is is starting. I didn't track rotations enough in that contest to get into, like, what roles Taylor Jenkins wants there. And I also well, like to well, I, I can speak to that, actually. So sure. Vince Williams Jr. came off the bench, but you know, he still ended up playing 27 minutes uh, in this one. Smart was clearly on a, a minutes limit, but they closed it out with Xavier Tillman rather than Biombo. But they went with that, that starting group. And there, there was one nice alley-oop to John Morant from Marcus Smart. So I think the possibility of maybe playing Morant off the ball a little bit, getting him some back cuts, just getting generally some more passing and playmaking on the floor, getting that out of Jaron Jackson Jr.'s hands, letting him be more of a play finisher. Like They actually have a lot of playmaking now at that one through three more than most teams. But hey, if the Grizz keep winning every game they play, they actually could get back in the playoff picture pretty quickly here. They clearly are quite re-energized with the return of Morant. Already up to 10 and 19, which is still a ways from 500, but significantly better than they were before. The Miami mash unit on their kind of like wing rotation is still in process. Jimmy Butler and Josh Richardson partially participated in their practice on Wednesday. Caleb Martin was on the side and Haywood Highsmith is healthy. Yeah, Martin had a ankle sprain in the Christmas Day game. Highsmith missed with an injury, but he's back. He's been another really important piece uh, for their wing defense. And Richardson, I believe it's back spasms. Butler, it's a calf. You'd think those guys maybe are going to miss another couple of games. For New Orleans, Larry Nance Jr. is listed as doubtful. That's the first time he's been anything other than out with that right rib fracture it's been three and a half weeks since he was given a four to six week timetable Uh, and we'll see larry nance just wasn't really able to be effective after returning from injury the first time we'll see whether that changes because they do need him cody zeller is not really a rotation level of player and they need more defensive versatility than what valentinus can provide i may have missed it did you mention gabe vincent 
No, I didn't. Uh, he will, in fact, have arthroscopic surgery on his left knee. We talked about that a little bit in uh, a couple episodes ago. So, so six to eight weeks, that'll be after the trade deadline. If you're the Lakers, are you making moves assuming that he'll be back and then he's going to be able to have an impact this year? I think I probably would say that I, I'm not going to rely on him uh, as I look at trying to build out my team and again, uh, time being so precious for LeBron James and Anthony Davis. And this seemed like a likely outcome when we, we brought it before that he was considering it and just, just to get things right for Vincent. And we, we both expected he was going to be a larger contributor. Sucks that it hasn't happened yet. Joe Ingles has missed five straight with a left ankle sprain, and he is questionable for the Magic's game on Wednesday against the Sixers. Jalen Suggs is back from that sprained left wrist. Good to see that he's back. And stop me if you've heard this before, Jonathan Isaac, late scratch with a sore right hamstring, and we don't really know where things are going from here. Yeah, with Isaac, he was questionable for tonight. We'll see whether he plays or not. He didn't play on the first end of the back-to-back against the Wizards yesterday. But remember, he's had a bunch of hamstring issues, muscle issues, in addition to all the knee troubles, groin issues. He was not listed on the initial injury report, but then was ruled out for Tuesday's game. That's always a little concerning that he just kind of had this soreness that came in late. This wasn't like a planned rest situation. And he makes such an impact defensively when he's out there. We saw it in that game that we did for the strategy stream where he was blocking Giannis multiple times. And he was just was nasty. Like that combo of he and Mo Wagner has been so good off their bench, but it seems like he's going to be playing 13 minutes and not even reliable to do that forever. And as you think about his $17 million unguaranteed salary for next year and a magic team that's going to be trying to sign guys to take the next step, the decision that they make uh, on him will be fascinating. Speaking of fascinating, do you want to take the lead on the Joel Embiid rumor? Yeah, well, Dan wrote about this yesterday that Howard Eskin, longtime sports radio maven in the Philly area, tweeted out a a rumor that he had heard a few weeks ago that Joel Embiid wanted the organization to pay for him to take a private flight into Miami on Christmas night where they're playing at 8 p.m. Eastern so he could spend Christmas morning with his family. And then that Joel suffers this right ankle sprain, doesn't play as a result of that, doesn't make the trip down to Miami on Christmas. And Eskin noted that he was injured early in the the game on Friday and completed the game now with an ankle sprain. That's not dispositive of the issue because a lot of times guys will suffer an ankle sprain, play through it the rest of the game, and it'll swell up and they'll miss a couple. That's a very common instance that happened to Jason Tatum just earlier this, this week, in fact. But then now... Embiid is also not going to play tonight against the Magic. Perhaps that makes it obvious that this was a real injury. And I mean, it was seen that he did sprain his ankle. Like there there was an actual injury mechanism that was seen. A real conspiracy theorist would be like, well, now Embiid's just missing this game too, just to prove to everyone that the rumor was wrong, but the rumor was right at the beginning. I Ultimately, I think you just can't put too much stock in that. Although surely this is the sort of thing that would not be reported by a national reporter because it's so damaging to the player. Right. Uh, Nick Batum is supposed to be back over the weekend from that hamstring issue. And Joel, his status for the weekend appears unclear, but he went through some on-court work. DeAndre Ayton has missed time earlier in December with a right knee issue. And now he's out. He missed that. The Tuesday's game with right knee tendonitis. That's not great. Sharp 
Shane Sharp had been questionable with right adductor soreness. He ended up missing that game as well. So, yeah, Sharp, he had to leave a game a couple of, yeah. a few games ago due to that grind. But yeah, maybe he'll be back soon if he was questionable for this one. But yeah, uh, you know another, what those tags mean. I'm sorry. No, that's it. Another bizarre injury reporting story. We've had a couple in this one. Victor Wembanyama on Saturday um, stepped on a ball boy's foot during warmups and um, was going to play in the game and then did not play in the game. And then he, it looks like he's not going to play back-to-backs for at least for a little bit. He's been dealing with this right ankle issue. Um, but so he did play though on Tuesday against the Jazz. Yeah, he was on a minutes limit. Craig Popovich said he didn't look like himself, uh, and so yeah, he's not going to play on a back to back over the weekend coming up here with that ankle sprain. So th- throw this in the category of Kevin Durant spraining his ankle just going for an uncontested dunk before his home debut in Phoenix last year. Lamar Odom stepping on on a basketball during practice and missing a bunch of time with a, a sprained ankle in terms of weird sprained ankle injuries. For Utah, who beat San Antonio last night, Keontae George did come back from that left foot inflammation. He came off the bench. Jordan Clarkson is also back for Utah. He's had 24, I think, and 30 in the last two games, but he's been coming off the bench as well. And then in Washington, DeLon Wright, you remember him? Maybe his absence has been part of why Washington has been just like so incredibly god-awful. John and I went through this whole thing where we're like, hey, you know, the uh, the Spurs motto is thank God for the Pistons. The Jazz motto is thank God for the, <laughs> the Spurs and the Pistons. And Washington's motto can also be thank God for the Spurs and Pistons. Because I mean, Washington, like, it is rare to have this many teams at this time of the season. Particularly because the Wizards aren't even like that injured other than Wright. Like, been relatively healthy this year. To just where, like, the vast majority of your games are just like, yeah, these guys have no chance tonight. Like, there's just no chance they're going to win a basketball game. <laughs> that's, that's pretty remarkable, but maybe DeLon Wright can help that. And he, in the last year of his deal, he'll, of course, be a trade candidate if he can get healthy. And I think he could certainly help a playoff team. He was good for the Wizards as recently as last year. And one other thing I want to flag with the Wizards is that DeLon Wright is back, but a it's a back-to-back, a DNP rest for Danilo Gallinari. They're just managing him a little bit, but that's another way that they could be helpful is if they have their, their actual backup center available to play. All right, well, that will do it for today and for this week we will be back the plan is to do awards for our next pod probably over the weekend so that that'll be interesting to check back in on that i can't believe it's been a month already since we did those uh but we've had a lot of action in the rearview mirror since then it'll be really fun to check in particularly on all nba really looking forward to that and of course hollinger and duncan should be in your inbox for dunked on prime subscribers already talk to y'all soon at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.